Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast, where we share practical therapy tips and ideas for busy speech-language pathologists. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back as we dive into this week's episode. Hi there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast. I am incredibly excited for our guest today, um, Leanne from Expressible is an amazing speech language pathologist, and she is going to be shedding some light on telepractice and how to connect and engage with parents um, in this newer setting. Um, And just a little bit about Leanne, she um, got her master's in speech language pathology from Northwestern University, and she's worked in pediatric outpatient clinics, schools, early intervention, and home health. And she saw a lot of issues and things that kind of broke her heart out in the field. And so she um, took action on that, um, which is which I love because I feel like I kind of went down the same path. Um, and so she partnered with her husband, Nick, and two other teammates, and they created Expressible. Um, so Expressible is a telepractice company, and they really had a vision for moder- modern and affordable care um, for, so that anyone who wants to access speech therapy can um, and just an amazing company and service and I cannot wait to dive into all things telepractice. Um, so welcome Leanne and I'm sorry if I totally butchered that mission but hopefully that encapsulated um, some of that. No, you explained it perfectly. That's exactly what we set out to do. <laughs> and thank you for having me on, Marisha. I am incredibly excited, especially given the recent turn of events, because everyone is thinking about teletherapy now. Um, so I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your story. How did you get started in telepractice and like what led you there? So... Like you kind of mentioned in the intro there, I was doing work with predominantly pediatrics in a couple different settings and primarily dealing with insurance companies, Medicaid, private insurance plans. And what I kept continually finding and what I think a lot of us find is frustration and headaches and sometimes heartbreak when the families that we're just trying to serve are receiving insurance denials left and right. You know, sometimes it really felt like it was on a whim of the insurance company just deciding that they wanted some teeny tiny thing tweaked in your goal a little bit differently. So they issue the family a denial. And then, you know, sometimes you can fight it, rewrite your goals, send it back. But then this process gets dragged out and that's time going by that the family's not receiving support. And when you're looking at pediatric development, that's valuable time being wasted. Um, You know, so sometimes it felt like there were no reasons at all or (laughs) from a therapist viewpoint, nonsensical reasons that the families were being denied. And on one hand, it caused, you know, headaches for us and resending the report, rewriting things. But it's re- it really has an impact on the families. So we kind of set out and, you know, my husband Nick and our other co- colleagues who are wor- work on Expressible with us, they all have experience in the, the healthcare technology industry. 
And so when I would come home at the end of a long day and maybe tell kind of a sad story to my husband, we started just brainstorming how can we solve this problem? There has to be a better way to get some of these things done. And so we we pivoted and thought, well, why not telepractice? You know, technology, in some cases, I know a lot of people feel like technology does some harm to the world in a couple different ways, but in some cases it can do a lot of good. So we really set out to leverage telepractice to keep the overhead costs of running a practice down so that we could pass along savings to families while still being able to, you know, pay our SLPs a great wage and give them the flexibility and convenience to work how they want to work, which if they're anything like me is really wanting to focus on the therapy and the planning, the plans of care, engaging with the families and and patients and spending less time on the things that caused headaches and frustrations and you know kind of stop being at the mercy of these insurance companies because you know I don't know about anyone else but I didn't I didn't pursue this career to <laughs> get piled under paperwork um so that's kind of how we got into it and um we were testing an experiment really at first was there a need out there to fill this gap that that I felt like I was seeing and I would say so far, yes, we've, we really felt um, that there are families out there and adult clients out there who are clamoring for some other kind of route. And um, that's the other side of it too. You know, we also provide for adults and part of our theory evolved where we started looking at cases where an adult client might not have even otherwise thought to pursue speech therapy because it's not covered by insurance at all in the case of things like fluency or accent modification or maybe just a lingering articulation error that they never addressed as a child. Um, so there really there really was a gap on a couple different sides where insurance kind of wasn't meeting the needs. And so we're finding that we are able to hopefully fill that for as many people as we can. That's amazing. I love that story. And it's been so cool to see the progression and um, how you guys are growing. So amazing. It was fun to like get to hear a little bit more of that. Um, and so you guys do a lot. Like you, Do you see anyone in the schools or is it all private? So we are all private. So we don't yes. currently provide to anyone in the schools. I know that that's a big side of telepractice as it is right now. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that's going to change. I think that it's going to be cracked open a little bit wider here. Um, but, uh, you know, part of me feels like I, I'm so proud of all the telepractice um, SLPs who have been providing to schools and I think that they have really helped lead the way on figuring out how this stuff works. And I will definitely say that in conducting research back when we were starting that, you know, I definitely leveraged a lot of their help. And so hopefully we can keep passing that forward. Yeah. And so I'm asking that because I'm curious how like in the schools, 
Um, we often have a facilitator or an SLP assistant or someone helping with the therapy. Um, but what does that look like if we're not in the school? Like, Because we're focusing on the interaction with parents today. Um, so I'm curious how you set that up and how you navigate that um, and yeah. how that works. Yeah, absolutely. So our facilitator basically just becomes the parent or the caregiver. And so, you know, it's really important, I think, for expectations to be clear up front. So I know that the way we work is we we always do a consultation before we get started. And that's where we start laying groundwork for how the setup works. Um in a lot of cases, I think that the model of therapy has been changing for a while now where we used to see families just kind of passing the kiddo to the therapist and the therapist would take them back to the clinic room and work for, you know, 45 minutes and then bring them back up to the parent. And that's been changing for a while now. And all a lot of research has been done to kind of show that that might not be the most valuable way to address a lot of goals. And so... What we see in telepractice is setting the expectation up front where we we really let them know you are going to be a huge part of this and we want you to feel empowered to work on these things at home. I usually put a caveat in there for families saying, you know, we don't want you to become therapists. That's not our goal. Our goal is for your child to be able to have their needs met at home communicate effectively at home and in their community. And we know that children, especially young children, learn best from the people that are the most important to them, and that's their family. And they learn best in the environment that's natural to them, and that's their home, surrounded by the things that they're used to seeing. So we set up expectations up front, and then when we jump into the actual therapy, um, Parents start going beyond even just that facilitator role, maybe, and we look at much more of a parent coaching model, doing lots of parent education. Um, We can model things on our side of the camera, but what the main focus might be, especially for younger ages, is really coaching the parents to apply these strategies and supports and cues into their daily life. So playing with the toys that the kiddo has, maybe... We have the laptop, we carry it over to the kitchen because the kiddo's hungry and we work on having them ask for the snack that they're hungry for. If we get into a little bit of an older age kiddo, maybe young school age, pre-K, kindergarten, where maybe we're working on something a little bit past early language development, maybe um, we start to see a model where It's not, again, it's hopefully a little bit more than just a facilitator role, a little bit more than just keeping the kiddo on track. But I find it really valuable to have the parent alongside the child throughout the session. So not only can they see what the therapist is working on and the supports that we're giving, the visuals we're giving, but um, they're right there to kind of chat and keep that education going throughout the session. So I think that it's really exciting to see the way that families respond to it. They, more often than not, are really excited to be included in the process. They want to help their kids learn. They, it's 
you really can see their faces light up when they try out a strategy that the therapist has gone over with them and they try it out and the kiddo rises to the occasion and, and, you know, meets the goal and they've, they're the ones who've done it and they find it really exciting. And that just warms our heart then in return. Ooh, I love that. And what do you think, like, what are, have, so it doesn't sound like there have been a lot of hurdles, but have there been any hurdles in getting to that point? To the point of parent coaching. Yeah. And just like, are there some parents who, because I guess if you set the expectation up front, then they're expected to participate in the session. Um, But do you ever have like issues or challenges with them not showing up or like what might, what hurdles could we anticipate in getting the parents involved? Certainly. So I think that Definitely some families still kind of come to the table with the idea that the kiddo will be plunked in front of the screen and they'll work for their time and then, you know, they'll be done. Maybe we'll chat just at the end. And so if that ever happens where we enter the first few sessions, if that's kind of the feel that we have going on, it's it's we just got to broach that topic because it's really important and we, we want to be delivering the best service and um, really seeing outcomes. And so if we know that the way that that's going to happen is to include the parent, then we just have to broach that topic. Hey, you know, he's, you know, your kiddo has been working really hard with me, but I think that we could see even better growth if I would be able to tell you some of these things. I'd love it if you could sit in with us on the next session and see what we're working on. And then together we can generate some ideas about how to carry it over throughout the week. Um, I think a big, I'm a big fan of um, something I'll never forget learning about in my graduate program. I had a fantastic early intervention professor. Her name was Megan Roberts, Dr. Megan Roberts. And I remember she taught us about non-contingent help giving. And that's a really fancy word for the fact that sometimes your help has a bigger impact if the person has approached you for it. If the light bulb moment has come on for them without you turning the light on. So um, really just trying to get the parent in there in the session and then, you know, letting some occasions arise. If you're talking about a younger client working on early skills, maybe they're playing and there is a moment of frustration. The kiddo isn't able to articulate something or have a need met and the frustration happens, and then the non-contingent help-giving moment happens when the parent looks over at you and says, so what should I do when they do that? Um, so they've approached you for the help, and then you've kind of got them on the you've got them on the line for the buy-in. And I do think that the parent buy-in is really important. And so obstacles definitely can arise if parents approach with a preconceived notion about how it's going to go. Um, some parents might be skeptical that telepractice will be effective for their child. Um, I think that 
you know, an important way to approach that obstacle is A, to not let it get in in your head as the therapist. You know what skills you have and what we can accomplish with telepractice. And we know from research that we can accomplish just as much in, you know, almost any diagnosis. But um, so staying confident in our skills and just moving forward, but then also just working to try to really bring them into the fold. And maybe it's not immediate. Maybe it's not there on the first session, but I think every single session we should work to kind of bring them in more and more. So even if that's, you know, maybe they're still kind of trying to walk away from the computer for a couple minutes. Um, If it's a school-age kiddo trying to tell them, hey, could you run and go get your mom? I have a quick question for her. Getting the parents back in and then just sort of keeping them involved that way and letting them see the growth that can happen. And um, like I said, when they, if you give the suggestion and they execute on something successfully, you've just got that teensy bit more buy-in happening each time. Yeah. And maybe starting with like smaller, easier to approach things, just like giving them bite-sized pieces that they can tackle. Absolutely. Awesome. That's super helpful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious too, because you work with, um, like once we get into the older grades, like, do you see less, like, do you involve the parents less? Like if you have like a middle schooler or a high schooler, um, like what do you, what do you think about as the students get much older? Yeah, I feel like as the students get much older, I find it really important to give them some autonomy. So yes, I do think that the parent involvement changes slightly because, you know, we want to respect the the kiddo's autonomy. Um, if if and again, that depends very much on um, the type of goal that you're working on. So if you're working on something that might be a little bit more involved, maybe the parent is with you just as much of the time. But if you're working on something where the kiddo is able to kind of to sit independently and work alongside you, um, I think it's important to give them a little bit of space to do that and feel comfortable and feel independent with that. But no matter what, I always want to loop the parent back in. And so um, very often I'll, I'll frame the conversation to have everyone involved at the end of the session. So kind of checking in with the, you know, teenager, middle school age, high school age um, individual and checking in with them and the parent kind of talking together as a group about okay, here's what we can work on and here's something you might try throughout the week. Um, mom, you can maybe give him reminders here if he doesn't remind himself, things like that. So still keeping parents in the fold and up to date on everything that's being addressed, but definitely respecting the, the client's autonomy a little bit more. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then what about different types of disabilities? Like, are there, um, like, because we might have a teenager who is um, maybe less verbal or uses alternative communication or whatever it may be. So how do you navigate that? And like, what does that look like? Do you think they're a good fit for telepractice or what has your experience been there? 
So I think that no matter what, we as clinicians are always evaluating if the service delivery model is the most appropriate for the client or student. And in some cases, the answer might be no. Either um, either we can't find the research that we want to have to support our reasoning, or maybe we give it a shot and it just has a really hard time working out. I think that obviously it's our ethical standard to make that call and be honest with the families. Um, I think that an issue that a lot of ind- a lot of therapists might be running into now in this crisis that we have going on is that their caseload does have those students, right? So if I was taking a consultation for a kiddo who was a little bit who needed more support if they were, like you said, less verbal or working on AAC usage, I would be upfront about maybe telepractice isn't the best fit and make a recommendation, help them try to find a different resource or another provider. And so what we're running into now is that that option's not there. And so some school therapists are having to try to provide, you know, on their goals for the kiddos IEP over telepractice as their schools are kind of asking them to fulfill minutes. And I know that I've been paying a lot of attention to all of the, the Facebook groups who have been so wonderful about providing support for each other throughout all of this. And a big discussion is kind of, well, are we really helping if that is um, the caseload that we have, if that's the goal the individual has, are we really helping them over telepractice? Are we really doing what we're saying we're doing and providing services. Um, I think that it's such an unusual circumstance, right? This is a time when we're doing things that we would never otherwise do. And so I think that being honest is important. And I think that documenting is also important. So being upfront with the families in the first place about how, you know, I, you know, maybe I don't feel that this is the best fit, but this is kind of what we're working with. And hopefully we can get back to our regular service delivery model as soon as possible. But I still want to be there to support you and your family and help this child have his needs met while he's with you guys at home. And so the next thing becomes their goal level. So you have you have students who maybe use AAC at the school and at our and are at a certain goal level, but maybe they don't even take their devices home. And maybe parents have never used it before. So maybe their goal level at school is much higher than what the parent would even begin to know how to do with them at home. I think if and I don't provide for the schools, but I think something, a perspective I would share is to shift a little bit maybe to thinking about the medical model where we say, how can we help the families just get to some kind of functional space? So using, just coaching them through using the early skills that you taught on the device, requesting for food and drink or help and looking at those really early functional skills. No, it might not be where the kiddo is with you, but it might be where the family is at that time with the device um, 
or that goal level. And I think it's tricky because, you know, no, that's not what the IEP is written for. And I know that a lot of therapists are really concerned with trying to keep going with those IEPs as they're written. Um, The fact of the matter is, I think they're not in school and the IEPs are written for the situation where they are in school. Um, I'm not entirely sure what, what schools will be doing about that when this is all said and done, if they'll look at those IEP minutes and consider them not met if we weren't addressing the right goal or if they, you know, will just take it at what it was and say, well, the SLPs were still meeting with the child. Um, I think that we're just not sure, right? It's all still evolving actively every every day, every hour. Um, but I think that my my two cents would be as far as it goes, coaching the parents to to just see what you can get done with them and meet them where they are. Don't tr- I? I would say don't try to jump to this really high level if if that's where you you want them to be. I think try to really meet them where they are. Yeah, and I think those are really great points and. I mean, part of it is like I talk a lot about generalization and like if the student can, for example, request at school, but they can't do that at home, then um, we've identified a gap that needs to be addressed. Um, So I think and I'm it'll be really interesting to see more examples and kind of like case studies come in as we actually dive into all of this because we're kind of. Um, like speculating now of what the issues might be. Uh, But I think it could be a really cool opportunity to have an impact and really like we parent communication is quite challenging in a school setting. We don't get as much time with them as we um, would like or um, maybe should. So this could be a really cool opportunity um, to really benefit those students. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And um, if we keep a positive mindset and keep our problem-solving hats on, I think we can um, make some really amazing progress. Yeah. So I'm excited to see how that pans out. Um, and then, okay, so that was a good overview of kind of what – telepractice would look like and how we can engage with parents across the different ages and um, disabilities. Um, So what, in your experience, are some of the things that are most impactful on success with a client? So I think a lot of the things we kind of mentioned and touched on already that that early buy-in, and to speak to the point you made, Marisha, a lot of early buy-in does, I feel, in my experience, come with early successes. And that is really supported by what you mentioned about just giving little tiny pieces. Even if we just catch them and are able to help them get this one little tiny step made forward at home, they are going to see that as, oh, this is successful. And the therapist who I talked with on the computer helped me do that and helped my kiddo do that here at home. So I think the early success and buy-in is really important to kind of 
keep families motivated and, and coming back to want to learn with you. I think that the generalization is also really important. And that's where we can see a lot of the benefits of the natural environment, the home environment coming into play, having so much communication with the parents as they are our active facilitators and they are really up to date on everything that we're working on and how to address it that um, I mean, hopefully some of the supports that we practice with them become second nature in their homes. Um, they know how to sit down and practice maybe an articulation goal with their kiddo for 10 minutes every day, and it becomes a part of their routine. It becomes a part of their homework routine. So the generalization I think is also really impactful, just the way that you mentioned it is at school. Yes, we want to see it at the classroom, but we also want to see it at home. And so from my side of it, yes, I want to see it in at, at the house, but um, I would, you know, we also want to see it carried over into school and the community and everything. So I would say those to me are some of the most impactful things for success is um, the parent buy-in, also the the student or child's buy-in. So um, obviously it's important for them to find it fun, for them to find it engaging. Um, if they are a school-age kiddo, being, you know, staying creative about ways to keep them involved. And I don't really personally find that any different in telepractice than in-person therapy because there's plenty of times <laughs> that I've had working with a kiddo in person where I'm, you know, maybe for a couple minutes floundering around about how to keep them engaged with me, how to get them back to the therapy space where I'm sitting. Um, so that to me doesn't change as far as an obstacle. Maybe the way we problem solve it kind of changes. But that's also important, I think, because if a parent sees that their child's not super engaged by the telepractice, they might start to doubt its effectiveness. Um, and so, but therapists, we're all really creative and there's a ton of great resources out there. And again, so many kudos goes out to all the therapists who are sharing right now and posting questions, answering questions on all of these boards, sharing resources, um, to help newbies to teletherapy figure this out. Um, there's always been a ton of great resources, but the amount of sharing that's going on right now is really admirable and exciting. And I just love to see all of us lifting each other up in this field um, to help all these things, to help this telepractice while some people have to do it to be successful. Yeah, the community aspect is definitely amazing. So um, we'll, I am sure we'll continue to come up with hurdles and challenges, um, but we've got amazing SLPs backing us up to figure this all out. Um, and so a follow-up question that I had, uh, because you were talking about, like you gave a lot of examples in terms of like how you communicate with parents and how you reel them in and like what you say when we get set up. Um, but what does that look like with students in terms of keeping them engaged? Like, is the, are there certain things that you say when you first start working with them or like what tools and strategies do you use throughout the session? Um, Cause I'm sure there's some aspects that 
are the same across like being one-on-one with a student versus virtually. Um, But I'm curious what kinds of things stand out to you. So I think that for me and what I would suggest to others out there who are jumping into it is to, like I said, kind of keep it going the way that you would otherwise if it was in person and not over telepractice. Um, So I think that the way that you engage with a kiddo and talking up front about your your goals, you know, why are you meeting here today? I know um, that's really important for a lot of school therapists. I, I've heard a lot say that every time the kiddo comes to the to the speech room, they set out their intentions for the practice. So, you know, why are we here? What are we working on? And why are we working on that specific thing? What's our ultimate goal? Um, setting up those same kind of things with the students up front, the clients up front, um, so that they know why they are sitting in front of the computer with you working on these things. Um, keeping them engaged. Like I said, there's there's a lot of different games out there. Um, sometimes it depends on the platform that you're using to provide services. Um, I believe that a majority of them offer screen sharing now where you can show what's on your screen to the therapist. And I would definitely recommend that. Um, at a minimum to people jumping into telepractice and looking at platforms, um, that the screen sharing is really helpful, not only for just pulling up visual cues or target word lists or stories that you're looking at together, worksheets that you already have a PDF of. It's super handy to just be able to put that up on the screen. And then other platforms also offer the ability to pass over the controls to the student so that they might be able to play a game. The other side of it is you don't have to use a computer game at all to keep students engaged. Um, You know, I kind of think a nice break is, again, if they have a laptop or a tablet and that's how they're using teletherapy, maybe they're at their house, maybe they want to take a break showing you their favorite toy or their show their room and describe like what's their favorite thing about their room. Um, So kind of, you know, taking breaks about more conversational things. I think a lot of the old practices don't go away either. So visual trackers, visual schedules, keeping students on task. Um, The time really flies as much as it does in an in-person session. So I think that Depending, you know, again, the school-age kiddos, I think keeping them engaged for that brief amount of time, there's a lot of ways to keep that going that aren't very different from how you would otherwise do it. Um, The younger kiddos, of course, (laughs) of course, they might kind of get up and walk to the other room. And that's where we're coaching the parents about how to either get them back to the play space, or maybe that opportunity we're going to follow their lead. Oh, let's just go see what they're interested in and see if we can create an opportunity out of it. So um, I would say don't get thrown off by the fact that it's telepractice and continue to just kind of view the resources that you already have in a different light. So the, the worksheets that you already have, share them on the screen um, using your platform or Um, do a barrier task that you might set up in person with those amazing, you know, super duper magnetic boards where you do the barrier tasks, do the same type of thing, but then you just hold up your final product to the camera and compare and contrast. So um, 
it's I think in a lot of ways it's not super different. You can you can keep using a lot of the same things that you did before. Yeah, and are there any favorite new tools that you found? Hmm, I think um boom cards. I know a lot of people have thrown those out as a suggestion on the boards. Um Boom cards, they have them for a lot of different goals, like articulation and language goals. They're super awesome because you, again, you can on, I believe a majority of the platforms, you can share the screen and kind of go through them that way. Um, Those are really awesome. So if you haven't heard of those, I would check those out. And so what are boom cards exactly for people who aren't familiar? And could you give a couple examples of maybe how you would use those? Yeah, so they're they're basically, and I only have a couple of them. I know that there's a whole library, a big library of them. They're basically like flashcards. Some of them are interactive where I know that some that I have are for phonological disorders where you're doing minimal pairs or there's like a little, so it looks like a flashcard up on the screen, but then there's two little bug jars and the student has to determine which jar that word goes in. So, you know, F versus TH, is it feet or theet? Which jar does that go in? And then you move the bug, you move the picture over to that little bug jar. Um, so they're, they're basically like flashcards, but they're set up to be used on the computer or on the tablet predominantly. Um, some of them have that interactive nature to them, and some of them are more just like um, the flashcards style thing. But um, I found them super helpful. I don't have a ton of them yet, though, so because um, they do – sometimes there's freebies, um, but some of them do cost money. Okay. That's super mm-hmm. helpful. Um, are there any other – like, do you ever use, like, videos or any other kinds of apps um, yeah, because um, that I feel like speech therapists are always super interested in like the specific tools. So curious, we are, we are, and I do a lot. I know I personally kind of do a lot of on the fly creating. Um, I always have. I keep a dry erase board, like a small one, on hand um, with a couple different colored markers. Whether it's just providing. A visual cue. Sometimes I'm that therapist who does like a really janky drawing of something to explain my point um, or just writing something out for a, a kiddo on the dry erase board um, or using that for the barrier task. So I, I kind of recommend keeping one of those on hand. But um, other specific materials, um, you know, I love the Busy Speech app, the Busy Bee. I think that's what it's called. It's Little B or Busy B, and that's articulation. They have every sound on there, word level, phrase level, sentence level, stories. And so I actually have that on my tablet already. I'm not sure if it comes, if if you can get it set up just on the laptop or computer to be shared. Um, But what I've done actually, and it's pretty easy, is you can just tilt this, you know, tilt the screen down a little bit and prop up the the iPad and kind of show the screen that way. Um, Some therapists in telepractice are big fans of document cameras, um, which would be like an external camera that would be set up to 
look down at the desk the way that I think of it as like the overhead viewers that we used to have in school where you can see what the teacher is writing. Um, some therapists are really into those document cameras for telepractice. Um, I think that the screen sharing has perhaps eliminated the, the need for that. But I, I think it comes it starts to become like a preference thing. If you are the type of therapist who, like me, likes to write out a lot of different things actively as you go along, um, that that can be helpful. If I'm working on a goal, maybe an articulation or phonology goal that doesn't need a picture, home speech home is amazing just for word lists, sentences in every position of the word. Um, read works I use a lot just for pulling up passages, comprehension um, for all different age ranges. Um, and then I'll even sometimes use those passages for adult clients as well. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a ton of great resources out there. I think that I would definitely recommend if you're if you're looking at telepractice and you're not on any of the Facebook groups, I would recommend joining those because everyone is really active out there and supportive. Um, Teachers Pay Teachers is a great resource for in-person or telepractice resources, obviously. Um, I think that, I'll, I don't know, a lot of things come down to preference and so I would just encourage like exploring out there the different the different resources that are available. And I'm sure that as we chug along here, more and more will be shared. And I, I'm a big believer in not reinventing the wheel. So I love that the SLP community is so generous with sharing a lot um, because if if one person has graciously worked on something and shared it, then they're saving a lot of time for other therapists. And Sometimes we're tempted to reinvent the wheel with every client or every home program assignment, but we really don't have to if we just put a little bit up front in exploring what's already out there. Yeah, I love all of those suggestions. Um, And just to recap, so you mentioned the boom cards, um, Little B Speech, which is an iPad app, as well as Home Speech Home. Um, And you shared the idea to just like tilt your computer and show it that way or to use a document camera. Um, And I like some of the platforms actually let you share your iPad screen as well. Um, And there's different apps out there. Like if the platform doesn't have the specific ability to share the iPad screen, um, there's like different, I I can't remember the name. If I find it, I'll add it to um, the show notes. Um, But there's some really cool ways to like share the screen and like, it's kind of like using your iPad on your computer. Um, So that can be cool. Um, And then you also mentioned ReadWorks, which is also one of my favorites. I love that. And I feel like a lot of these suggestions, like you're right, it's the same as what we would be using in uh, in in-person therapy. We're just kind of adjusting it to make it work for this platform. Mm-hmm. That's super amazing. And that's good news because we can use all the things that we've been using, just getting a little creative. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, awesome. Um, so anything else that you wanted to touch on in terms of just like parent engagement or like parent-student engagement in the session? 
Um, let me think. I mean, I, I guess my, my main thing now is that the way that we work currently at Expressible is that we have always kind of set it up that way. And so I think if I could offer any other support to school therapists who are, like we mentioned, it's, it's tough. Sometimes they have huge caseloads. Parent communication can be a big challenge um, just by the nature of everything going on. So if anyone is jumping in and is really not sure how to engage with parents or get that ball rolling, um, they can definitely feel free to reach out to us at info at expressable.io. And I, I'd be happy to try to provide any guidance that I could um, to help t- therapists get get the ball rolling there. But I also would, would just give everyone a reminder that, you know, don't feel, try not to feel overwhelmed. Try not to feel frightened of jumping into it because you guys all know your stuff. You know what you're doing. Um, maybe we just have to make little tweaks here and there, but y'all have the clinical skills and um, we can keep providing awesome services for these students. Um, so yeah, <laughs> good luck to everyone and and we're here to help as well. <laughs> I love that. Um, and I feel like that's what we've been or what we've been coming back to throughout the whole podcast. Like this is, might feel overwhelming and challenging, but we've you're totally right. We have those clinical skills and we're just making little tweaks to make that work. Um, so I'd love to end on a positive note. So we've talked about like some of the the challenges and some of the hurdles, and you've also given a lot of great strategy to overcome those. So hopefully we're feeling better overall. Um, but can you tell us just some of your favorite parts about being an SLP who does telepractice um, and maybe like a fun, I don't know, any highlights for you would be amazing. Yeah. So for me, part of the, you know, the best part might be the flexibility that kind of gets built in with, and again, I know the circumstances right now, the past couple weeks have been a little bit different, but in general, there's um, a lot of flexibility that can come along with setting up and telepractice and kind of taking control of your own hours as a therapist. Um I think what I love about the opportunity that telepractice presents is that, you know, a a goal that we really have for Expressible is to start helping therapists and families connect with one another on a a specialty level. So there's a lot of geographic barriers. Sometimes families are, you know, an hour drive each way to the nearest speech pathologist and maybe that particular speech pathologist doesn't have a ton of experience in fluency or AAC or, you know, whatever the diagnosis is. And so telepractice can really open up doors to connect people with the the person who's best fit to their needs. And um, I know that a lot of therapists find that rewarding if they have an area that they're super interested in. Um, some therapists really like to try to build a caseload around that niche. Um, and then that really benefits the family as well because they're getting the expertise. I think that that is sort of perhaps the way that a lot of the, the health industry is going in general. Um, and so I think that I think I'm glad 
to work in telepractice to be able to reach a group of clients that otherwise might be in a tough spot to get therapy or um, like we said too, for us working with adults who otherwise might not have even thought to reach out to get speech therapy for something if their insurance didn't cover it. So I think I just love that we are reaching people um, and providing our highly skilled speech language pathologists and everyone who's worked so hard to be where they are and to to gain the knowledge that they have. I also really love working from home. <laughs> I I'm not a total homebody, but I do find comfort in my house and I find comfort in my dog. <laughs> I, I made that comment the other day to him being like one of my favorite parts about working from home. Usually he's not in the room with me. Usually he's sleeping on the couch, but it's nice just to be able to walk out and take a break. Um, like I said, with the flexibility, even just taking like a 15 minute lap around the neighborhood with him in between sessions is a nice way to decompress. And I think that SLPs sometimes forget to decompress. (laughs) We are hustling all the time, whether it's from classroom to classroom, or if you're a home health provider from house to house, you're driving and um, we maybe forget to take a time to breathe and pause and decompress. And sometimes that carries over from kid to kid. And we might not realize that if we're carrying any excess stress with us, that it can reflect onto the kiddos. And so I love telepractice, being able to work from home and and take some moments to to breathe deep and relax and remember what why I'm why I'm doing it in the first place. Oh, that's amazing! That uh, you mentioning your dog reminds me of that meme where, like, I remember it came up a lot when I was like. I had a massive caseload in the schools and I was just like grappling for anything that would be positive. But there's um, a little gif where someone is opening a file cabinet and there's just like this little puppy sitting in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, if only my file cabinet at work could have a puppy in it. But you could totally make that happen if you worked from home. Yeah. I mean, the puppy might not love to be in the cabinet, but. <laughs> yeah. And I know too, like that's actually, I think a lot of, you know, I'm used to it. Um, and my dog doesn't, he doesn't bark very often. So that's, he's a good fit. He's a good coworker <laughs> because he mostly sleeps on the couch and doesn't make a lot of noise. I know a lot of therapists right now in the, in this crisis are coming, they are really feeling like they're coming up against it with their their other coworkers, meaning maybe their own children, um, who are <laughs> perhaps causing some disruption if they're trying to get things done. And that I really feel for everyone. Again, keep your head up. Maybe if you, you know, it's so busy and I think we're all so stressed out, just take a deep breath. Um, Maybe try to set up a schedule with your family where you have, if you have some time in the morning for like noisy time, run around time where you're getting some energy out and then implementing a a quiet time for <laughs> for us to get some work done. I know that that probably sounds a lot easier said than done. Um, so... Again, I would say keep reaching out to each other for support. Maybe, you know, I don't have my own kiddos yet and I have my quiet dog coworker. So if anyone out there can wants to sound off about ways that they're managing 
their other coworkers, <laughs> aka their family, um, during this specific time. Um, maybe I'll leave it to you guys if you're the experts on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely not an expert either, but I feel like because I have a tiny puppy too, um, and I do like these interviews and like meetings and everything for my business. Um, so it's been interesting trying to navigate that. And I think the routines are super helpful. Just like you said, like the, like if I know, like before this podcast interview, cause I had another meeting right before. Um, so the puppy, I knew she'd have to be quiet for a couple hours. So we went, like we played hard and we did some walking and all of that. So, um, I, th- I mean, that those strategies have worked for me and I guess we'll just have to uh, keep keep in touch with everyone else to see how it's going with their pets and children and whatever other co-workers they might have at home. Mm-hmm. But yeah, awesome. So any last uh, pieces of like wisdom or advice or words or do you think we've done a good job covering what we wanted to cover today? Well, hopefully we've done a good job. Um, Last parting remarks, maybe um, deep breath, deep breath, everybody. Um, I know it feels so crazy for so many people in honestly so many ways right now. Um, And what I I just really admire how everyone, it seems to, to be just that the top of everyone's mind, all of these SLPs mind is continuing to provide for their students and their families. And it's so amazing that that's where our minds jump to. And so I think everyone reach around and pat yourself on the back for, for keep on keeping on and, um, and pulling together resources and everything like that. Like I mentioned before, you know, feel free to reach out to us. If we can be of any help, I would love that. Um, yeah, deep breath you know, hopefully everything will be okay. We'll get it sorted out. We are, you know, doing the best we can right now. And, um, yeah, I'm happy to provide any help that I can in any way. (laughs) Yeah, we are definitely in this together. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to, uh, chat with you and like kind of hear your perspective and hear all of your tips and resources. Um, and I'm sure all the other SLPs listening in feel the same way. Um, so I'm so grateful for you and you being part of this community, Leanne. Um, and yeah, thank you again. Thanks for having me, Marisha. It was great. Thanks for listening to the SLP now podcast. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. So yes, you can earn ASHA CEUs for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your SLP friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get the latest episodes sent directly to you. See you next time.